Welcome to Changeable. This is episode number 24, Is the World Ready for the New Paradigm with Dr. Joe Bailey. You're tuned in to Changeable with Dr. Amy Johnson. Changeable podcast is all about breaking habits, ending anxiety, and the ironic way change really works. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to Changeable. I'm um, really happy to be here and happy to share this episode with you now. So this episode is going live on New Year's Eve 2018, the last episode of 2018. And I think it's really fitting for this particular day. So in this one, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Joe Bailey, who's been sharing this understanding, this new paradigm for 40 years um, in a lot in addiction, a lot working with people with addictions and in recovery, but really in all kinds of ways. He works with practitioners who are feeling burnt out and shows them this understanding. Um, he he just talks with people and as one would over a career of 40 years, he's talked about this with anyone you can imagine in any setting and, you know, all over the world. And I love this episode and this conversation with Joe because we look to the past and we look to the future. And I asked Joe to imagine, you know, where he thinks the world might be in 30 years and 40 years when it comes to this this new paradigm, where mental health and psychology and just the world in general is headed with this. And he shares a lot of his past and how things looked in the beginning when he was first coming across this and in his first 10 years and 20 years of sharing it and just what's changed in that time. So it's a really um, amazing conversation. Joe's a great guy. I feel like it's a really perfect fitting one for this uh, new year cusp that we're, we're on the brink of. And I really hope you enjoy the conversation. All right. Thank you so much for being here with me, Joe. I'm really excited to talk with you. Me too. I'm excited to talk with you. Yeah. So um, maybe just to start, say a little bit about how, um, you know, in this podcast I talk about, I call it a new paradigm and it's, um, you know, and I just kind of contrast it with an old paradigm, which is kind of our more traditional psychology and interventions and things like that. So um, just kind of in your own words, like how long have you been sharing this new this new paradigm. I know it's been a while and you were kind of in the old paradigm, getting a little bit burnt out from the stories I've heard way back when, and you sort of saw this new way. So maybe just tell us a little bit about that. So I I guess I would say probably the first 10 years of my career was more in the old paradigm. (laughs) You know, I was trained as a clinical psychologist and addiction specialist and worked in treatment centers and in the addiction field, primarily in the disease concept, you know, the 12-step approach. And, um, and then when I was 33, which was almost 40 years ago, um, I learned, met Sydney Banks and I immediately, you know, within a short period of time saw that this was a paradigm shift for psychology and addictions. And that's when I wrote my first book, The Serenity Principle, a few years after that, because uh, I saw that this was the missing link. And all the, you know, a lot of people were, you know, very well intended. They weren't out there to make money. They were there to help people. They were doing the best they could. But this big, huge piece was missing, uh, understanding the nature of the human experience and how it was created from the inside out. So 
uh, I felt really fortunate, like I got a, a second wind or uh, a second chance in my career because I was, as you said, burned out. I was ready to jump, you know, jump ship, even though I loved helping people. I didn't know how to do it without hurting myself. Yeah. So what would you say, and this is probably a big discussion in and of itself, but just in a nutshell, what what was the the primary difference in this new paradigm? So when you kind of got got your second wind and you were sharing in a new way, what was the the big difference between that and what how you had been sharing? Well, I would just to say it really succinctly, I would say it went from moving uh, change from the outside in to change from the inside out. So my whole career was built around using techniques and teaching people tools to help them cope with their addiction or cope with their mental illness or cope with their bad marriage. And it was, um, it was about fixing them rather than seeing the health and the innate capacity for resilience and well-being already completely whole within each person. So my job went from being fixer to being gardener. It was almost more, I was just, you know, pruning and watering and fertilizing what was already there as a human potential. And so it made my work a whole lot less stressful. It made the therapy much shorter term and it had greater impact and longer lasting results. There wasn't as much repeat business. So when people learned the principles from me, they said, thank you very much. We don't need you anymore, (laughs) which meant my practice shrunk a lot, but then it, it grew with referrals. So it was a huge difference. And for me as a healthcare provider, as a therapist, uh, I realized that my stress didn't come from my job or from my patients, uh, but it was coming from my thinking in the moment about all of that. And that helped nip up, nip my own stress in the bud and allowed me to still be at age 70, still practicing and loving my work and can't imagine ever retiring because it's what a great privilege to do what we get to do. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, so when you wrote the Serenity Principle, that was in like the late '80s, is that right? Yeah, the late it came out in 1990, so I wrote it in the late '80s. And I I heard you sharing on another webinar the story um, of of a group was going to publish it, and then they read it. <laughs> Apparently, you tell me the whole story, but um, then they read it and said, "Whoa, wait a minute! Like this is before its time. We can't publish this." So. Can you say a little bit about that? Well, actually, um, that was Hazelden, who was one of the major pioneers in, in the addiction field. They were the first inpatient treatment center in the world. And um, so they have a whole, they had their own publishing house. You know, it's a very large campus and they have treatment centers all over the country. And one of the treatment centers in the Twin Cities, I worked with the, the women's program and trained them in the three principles. And because they were, getting so much better results and that their burnout disappeared, they got very curious when they heard I was writing a book about the three principles and addiction, which was with a different publisher. And so when I was giving a speech at the annual chemical dependency conference, they offered me a contract and gave me a check and said, we want Hazelden publish your book. And I was like, wow, this is like the Vatican of the addiction field. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I'm Martin Luther, you know. Uh, are you serious? And they said, oh, yeah, we love what you're doing. The results are incredible. And we're, we really need something that will unify all the different addictions from eating disorders and gambling and 
all the different drugs and alcohol. We want to integrate that all together. And your book is the answer. And we're going to make it the book of the year. So at first, they had edited it. It was all ready to publish. And the, the editing department, the book department, loved the book, made it the, the cover of the catalog for the next year and everything. But they had to send out review copies to the staff of the treatment center. And about 40 of the counselors said they would quit in mass if they published my book because they thought it was anti-AA, which it wasn't. But they perceived it that way because I said that you can become addicted to anything, even AA meetings. That one line sunk it. (laughs) So shortly before the book was to be published, I went out and met with Dr. Dan Anderson, who was the founder of Hazelden, to just kind of warn him this could be controversial and we need to prepare for this and the marketing, et cetera. And so when I went out to Center City to meet with him, he said, well, didn't you get our letter? And I said, no, I haven't. He said, well, we've we've decided not to publish your book. And I went, what? (laughs) This is three weeks before update. And I said, why? He says, well, because we can't afford to lose 40 of our counselors who said they would quit if we published your book. And I said, really? I said, uh, so what did you think? He said, well, I loved your book. It's just 20 years ahead of its time. And he said, good luck, you know, and, you know, you, you can keep the advance and, you know, sorry, so sorry for this. And so I got off the phone and the, or got off out of that meeting and I called Tom Grady, who was the guy who initially asked me to write it, who owned the small publishing house in Minneapolis. It's since been bought out by Harper Collins, and he was now in San Francisco as, as the editor-in-chief of Harper Spirituality and Psychology books. So I called him, and he said, don't worry, we'll, we'll publish it. We love controversy. It sells books. We love 20 years ahead of our time. <laughs> yeah. Great for them. So, so that's how I got with Harper Collins. Wow. Wow. So what exactly um, were the Hazleton counselors, like the people that were threatening to quit over this, afraid of? I mean, it was just that they were in that 12-step paradigm? They were. They, they had a very strong belief that, that uh, when you were in recovery, you were always in recovery and that you had to attend meetings regularly and that you had to constantly remind yourself that, of your label and that you identify with your label as an alcoholic or a drug addict or overeater. And that that was uh, central to the, to the treatment process was that people identify with the label of their addiction. And in my book, I talked about not identifying with the label, but identifying with your innate health. Doesn't mean that you're not an alcoholic or that you don't have a substance abuse issue, but that's not who you are essentially. And then I was pointing people to identifying with their true essential nature, their essence, their spiritual core of health. Um, That so that was part was controversial, and the second was that you can become addicted to techniques and to even to meetings. It wasn't downing them, dissing them in any way, and I I still don't to this day. I still think a lot of really good work happens in twelve step programs. There's a lot of beautiful truth in the in the big book. And if you read the big book through the three principle paradigm understanding, you see that it, it's constantly pointing back to a person's thinking, creating their experience. It's laced throughout it. And as I see it evolving over the last 40 years, more and more AA meetings use the serenity principle and probably your book too, Amy, 
um, as uh, helping them get even more out of their 12-step work. So rather than it being something that conflicts with it, they, it it's actually helping to evolve the 12-step programs. I mean, I don't know that much about it. Um, and you, in my eyes anyway, are such a historian of that. You've just been in this field forever. But but in terms of 12 steps, um, it just seems to me, and again, this is anecdotal, but just from what I hear from people is that no question it, it, that framework has helped so many people stop drinking and it has amazing things going for it. And that always seems to be the one thing when there's something that's like, yeah, but I haven't had a drink in 30 years. It doesn't feel right to me to stand up and say, I am an alcoholic. So I'm, I'm curious, has that changed at all in the past even 30 years since, since this all went down with the serenity principle? Like, do you see a softening of that happening? Um, I, I can't really speak firsthand about that because I don't, you know, occasionally I'll go to an AA meeting uh, to present a medallion to someone who's asked me to do that. Um, so I'm, I'm not real up on that, but I, I do see a softening in the people that I know who have gone through three principles treatment and then later choose to join a, a 12-step meeting for support. Yeah. Um, and they don't identify with the label. They talk about, hi, I'm Joe, I'm a recovering human being, or, yeah. uh, you know, they, 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 they don't do it in a, in, in your face way. They're, they're not controversial about it. They, they're respectful of other people doing what they're doing, but they, they take the benefit of the, the support nature of the 12 step program being around other people who are sober mm-hmm. and who are really interested in spiritual evolution um, and that may be the only thing that's available in their rural community is a, is an AA meeting. So they will go to that or another refuge recovery or some other form of uh, support network for people in recovery. So um, I, I do, you know, I, people that I know who are strong AA members who uh, have really benefited by understanding the three principles, it helps them much like Christians say, now I understand the Bible at a much deeper level. Or Buddhists tell me, I'm no longer so attached to the techniques in Buddhism. I now see the, the, the truth that the Buddha was pointing to much more clearly through my understanding of the principles. So to me, the three principles is a way of deepening people's wisdom and insight into whatever their belief system might be. Yeah. Christianity, 12-step programs, Buddhism, Hinduism, whatever. And so... It, it leaves us in a position, I think, to not judge what other people are finding useful, but to help see what's really helpful about their Christianity or about their their 12 steps or about whatever it is that they... And Sid would always say this, you know, don't quit going to your church. Whatever you believe in, keep believing in it. But the principles will help you get to understand the deeper truths that are within that religion. Yeah. That's what I heard him saying. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes so much sense. And um, I think it's really <laughs> moving towards simplicity, like something, and I heard you say this even about what the Hazleton people said even back then, some of them, is that, wow, this gives one direction to look. And I don't remember exactly how they said it, but now I don't have to have a different treatment, a different meeting, a different set of tools, a different conversation about all these different things. It points to one common underlying thing 
you know, like one set of principles that's beneath it all. Um, I don't know. Like, do you think we, we, it seems like we went through such a phase of specialization and everybody, you know, everything looked like it had to be unique and different. And it was very psychological in that way. Do you think in the big picture, like in society and psychology, that we are moving towards something that's a little more simple? More unifying. Yeah, yeah. I do. I, I think that as in any science, the law of parsimony is, if you know what that means, you know, the, sim- yeah. the, the boiling things down to its simplest common denominator is the most scientific of principles. It brings it to a principle. And the three principles to me take um, in the field of, of you know, our profession in psychology, you know, we have everybody specializes in, you know, treating eating disorders or personality disorders or major mental illness or marriage counseling or this or that. And um, when I train therapists, what all of them end up saying is, gee, we're really all, everything that, that really helps people is the same no matter what the symptom or the, or the issue is. Yeah. The solution is the same. And the cause is the same. It just manifests in different ways in different people, maybe because of genetics and biology or socialization or conditioning or history. But the, the root of the problem is that it's a, a big misunderstanding of where our feelings are coming from. And if we think our feelings are coming from the outside, we're going to look to food or to substances or to compulsive behaviors or to becoming greedy or uh, power hungry, or we're going to try to look out there rather than within to the true source of well-being, happiness, joy, gratitude, what we would call mental health, uh, is, is really as our default setting. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to achieve. There's nothing to work through. It's already there complete and whole. And when people begin to manifest that through insight, they begin to have insights about their true nature, these symptoms like sunlight evaporate the mold. You don't have to treat the mold. The sunlight, mold can't live in sunlight. Symptoms can't live in mental health. They just fall away. They disappear. So in 40 years around this, are we ready now? More ready than we were? Now, now obviously people have been hearing this and have been helped by this forever in not even, you know, when we, you and I say this right now, we're kind of talking about the three principles maybe because that's kind of our framework, but obviously there's these truths go much deeper and longer lasting than that even. But I'm so curious about just, you know, what you've seen in your career in this. I mean, in terms of how, um, acceptable it is, how just how audiences are taking it, not just addiction audiences, but anybody you share this with. Are you seeing any kind of major changes in that? Well, I'd see the, the changes from two different perspectives. One is that in the beginning, I was very evangelical about the three principles, and I think I pushed people away because of my enthusiasm and my, oh, everybody's got to see this like I see it, you know? And I think that, so I had to mature and evolve in my understanding that I can't, that it's not very effective to jam something down someone's throat. <laughs> I became more patient and accepting of people. Yeah. So there's that perspective. But the third thing is that I see the level of resistance that I get when I speak publicly or on the radio or TV or uh, in my books, society is much more welcoming of this paradigm now than they were 40 years ago. It, a lot has happened. You know, like when I was in my 20s, 
you know, the whole yoga movement started and anybody that did yoga was weird. Now every Y has yoga, every church does yoga. Yeah. Um, you know, and meditation, you had to be really, you know, a new age person to be into meditation. Now hospitals offer meditation courses and mindfulness and, you know, all of this is becoming more normalized as part of our culture. And so when I talk about the mind, it's not so woo-woo like it used to be. It's like, oh yeah, that sounds like mindfulness or that sounds like this or that. And then I'll point them back to the, the, the deeper simplicity. And so like I uh, just finished a seven-year program at Mayo Clinic, you know, working with their physicians and administrators, teaching them the principles, but we never called it principles. We called it resilience training. And then we teach them the principles. Yeah. But there was already so much receptivity because of, you know, the high level of burnout in the profession of healthcare, and because um, there were several key players at Mayo Clinic that had already realized the principles and that if people could see the difference in how they led and how they made decisions, they had credibility. So it made the way really much easier for me to take this message into that audience. And they already, they'd already say, yeah, well, you, you know, this is like mindfulness without the techniques. It's portable. You can do it anywhere, always. You don't have to sit down and concentrate on a technique. It's just you can do it in the middle of doing surgery. You can do it in the middle of rush hour traffic. When you're in a meeting of conflict, you can immediately settle into your wisdom and gain insight and because you, you're not so caught up in your personal thinking. And you're able to bring a calm, steadying influence to your work. So I think that there's a lot of movements in the world that are creating a fertile, a more fertile ground for the three principles. And I see it, I, I, the cat is out of the bag as far as I'm concerned, that this, there are so many people will never even call this paradigm the three principles that are going to be doing it. Yeah. I hear it, I, I read it in books, I see people who have been influenced by different strains of this coming out through, you know, there's hundreds of books now written about the three principles and webinars and it, it's, it's, it's in the bloodstream. So it's infecting the whole mass and it will no, no doubt dilute, but it will continue to carry the positive virus of the three principles to humanity. It's in the bloodstream. So I'm very hopeful about the future of the principles. It's so exciting. I mean, and it, it's a huge piece of it feels like this openness to the fact that we're innately well, you know, like just that. I mean, that's just one little foundational piece of this, you know, but it's like to, to look at that and say, you know, I, I mean, I don't know what it was like 40, 50, 60 years ago, but it seems like we've kind of gone from this medical model of problems and doing and people fixing and solving and creating to just easing into what's already there. And just the whole thing, you know, this idea that, wow, what if you're okay right now? What if you change by nature? What if that resilience is there in you right now? And it's more subtractive than additive. It feels to me like there's just a huge turn in a direction toward that. So I think it's so exciting to hear what you're saying that, that you've seen that too, you know, over the past 40 years, like really seen it. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that the, the, the word gets out, you know, like, like at Gulf Breeze, the treatment center I work with in Florida, people go through that program and they tell their families and their friends and say, 
gee, there's an easier way to go through treatment that really helps you get what you've been always looking for when you went to drugs. This is the, the cure for addiction rather than just something to cope with the rest of your life. Yeah. Wow. That sounds interesting. <laughs> I think I'd rather go there than the really hard treatment center. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, the same thing in the prisons and in the schools. And, you know, as people show up more mentally healthy that are delivering the message, there's less resistant and more interest. They're drawn to a positive energy, a positive feeling. Yeah. That's awesome. So the last question, and we kind of already touched on it, um, that I was going to ask is if you had to just guess, I mean, what, what the world is going to look like the world of addiction treatment, self-help, mental health, whatever, in 30 years, and in, or in another 40 years, let's say, the same amount of time on the other side that you've been around this. I mean, we're just guessing, but yeah, what, what comes to mind for you? Well, that's a great question. I not really thought about that. Um, uh, I guess I, I would see that as this gets into the bloodstream more in people like you and me, the next generation, there's going to be a lot um, less stress and burnout, for one thing. There is going to be people uh, showing up in their health who are the health care providers. It's going to be a healthier group. It will be less specialized. People will see themselves, it's kind of like holistic medicine is helping people's bodies to heal of themselves rather than fixing the symptoms of the disease, the old disease model. So as medicine is moving towards a holistic, more homeopathic, um, more innate physical health model, so too is the mental health field going to move towards that with this understanding. And I think the three principles, it may never be known as the three principles, or it may. I don't know how big that's going to get. I don't know if we'll succeed in, and it doesn't really matter to me as long as it gets yeah. out there, the understanding of this paradigm that, that you and I and many of us are educating people about. As, as people begin to identify with their own innate health and point to that innate health in other people, it's going to make therapy much more effective, shorter term, more um, systemic in the sense that once a person taps into the health, it's going to prevent future problems and transfer of addictions or symptomatology to other illnesses. Because once you have this host of health, you have an, a psychological immune system so that you are, uh, have a better immunity to future traumatic uh, events, to you know, we're, we're shifting and, and changing very dramatically in our global economy, politically, geopolitically. There's a lot happening beyond the psychological field in this world. We're going through big transformation. And the principles is going to be a big part of getting us through this and out the other side in a healthier, happier, more collaborative, less divisive world. That's yeah, what I think. That's so exciting. That might be grandiose, but no, I love it. That's my dream. I it love it. Love and humanity and fairies and sparkling. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I want to live forever and just see it happen. See what, see where yeah. it goes. It's exciting. No, thank well, you. I'm so 120 much. now. And oh I, gosh. Well then <laughs> there's hope <laughs> forever. I'm living forever. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for this conversation, Joe. It's been, it's been great talking with you. Great to talk to you too. I mean, it was a delight. Thank you for listening to Changeable. If you're enjoying this podcast, please let me know. Please subscribe and leave a review so others who need change can find their way here. If you want more on how change really happens, head over to dramyjohnson.com slash free change guide to grab the free PDF, three simple ways to break free from habits, anxiety, and addiction, even when you've already tried everything else. Happy New Year.